Chair staff is ready when you are. Great, let's get started. Hello, everyone. Good afternoon, everyone. Today is Monday, August 8th, and we are meeting uh, with Sacramento Community Police Review Commission. The meeting is now called to order. Will the clerk please call the roll and establish the hearing? Can you hear it? Thank you, Chair. Commissioners, please unmute and turn on your video for roll call. Commissioner Guerrero? Present. Commissioner Carter? Present. Commissioner Elcara? Present. Commissioner Falcone? Present. Commissioner Jefferson? Here. Commissioner? Here. Thank you. Commissioner Marion? Appears to be absent. Commissioner Espinosa Salazar? Present. Commissioner Williamson? Appears to be absent. Vice Chair Bliss? Here. And Chair Castillo Grings? Here. Thank you. We have a quorum. Great. This is a virtual uh, Zoom meeting. For members of the public who wish to join, please refer to the agenda for the Zoom link. Once you have joined the meeting and wish to speak, raise your hand to provide public comment when the chair confirms the public comment speaking period for your desired item. If you are online, just click on raise your hand at the bottom of the screen. If you are using a mobile app, you can raise your hand by tapping raise hand option in the more tab. If you are calling in using a telephone, uh, to raise your hand, dial star nine, then unmute or mute by dialing star six. Speakers will be called on by the last four digits of their phone number. You will have two minutes to speak with, once you are called. We will now proceed with today's agenda. Let's go ahead and, and begin with the land acknowledgement. Please rise for the opening acknowledgement in the honor of Sacramento's indigenous people and tribal lands. To the original people of this land, the Nisi Non people, the Southern Maidu people, Valley and Plain Miwok, Potwin Wintun peoples, and the people of the Wintun, Wilton Rancheria, Sacramento's only federal, federally recognized tribe, may we acknowledge and honor the native people who came before us and still walk besides us today and these, on these ancestral lands by choosing to gather together today in the active practice of acknowledgement and appreciation for Sacramento's indigenous people's history, contribution, and lives. Thank you. Please remain standing for the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge of allegiance, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. Thank you. Okay, great. Now we're gonna begin with a couple of updates. So I do have a couple of updates to share uh, for you, and I'm excited to finally be meeting after two months. 
I know that uh, there's just been a lot of back and forth between the vice chair and I, so it's good to see all the faces again. Um, a couple of items, I apologize for not getting them out to you earlier, but in your inbox you should have two letters. One letter has already gone out to the city council. The other one is something that is uh, drafted and I want to make sure that it was on, that you had an opportunity to view. So the first letter, um, as my email stated, is the city council will be actually reviewing the PNPE committee recommendations, which is basically an ordinance to change uh, city code and standardized processes for all of the different boards and commissions. There is, um, that is in the city's agenda, so take a look at that. We have been looking at it and we had a couple of updates that we would like the city council to consider. And for, I'm bringing it up to make sure it's in front of me. So a, a couple of items. One second, my computer is acting up. So a couple of things that we wanted to have the commission, or I'm sorry, the council consider is one of the recommendations is to actually eliminate the ability for the commissions and boards to actually have standing committees, which are actually um, defined under the Brown Act. And those are standing committees have, um, will meet, they have zero meetings, they are able to actually have agendas and whatnot. They still have to be, comply with the Brown Act. And then what we have is these loose uh, groups called ad hocs. Ad hocs have to be less than quorum, that way it doesn't violate the Brown Act. And at you basically, this is what we do. We pick a topic that we're gonna be working on. We don't always have formal meeting time. We kind of meet on our own and these are small working groups and that's how we do a lot of the work. And then we bring it back to the larger uh, commission for a vote. So right now, what the council is considering is eliminating the ability for us to have those ad hocs. What we're trying to get clarification is, can we continue to meet in small working groups? Because that's where we do a lot of our work. So that is one of the changes that we are requesting that we're asking them to actually um, write it out because we never know what happens. If we change council, we change staff, we wanna make sure that there's an actual written record of what the commissions are allowed to do and boards. So that is one of the changes that we're asking for. The other thing that we're asking for is right now that they are asking that any chair or vice chair only serve one term, right? So that would be one year. As you guys recall, we didn't actually have elections until March, so that would basically, then we would have elections again in January of next year. And because we don't meet all that regularly and it does take a little while to understand the city processes, we think it would be more prudent to actually have two years to really allow whoever's chair or vice chair to really understand the processes and be more effective and therefore represent the community better. So we're asking for understanding the term limits should be something that we look at, but we're asking for two years instead of one. The other change that we are asking for is um, we really, one of the things that we were hoping that this app process would actually lay out for us is how is the city council gonna act when they get recommendations from the commission? That was one of the big impetus for this actual working group to get together. So we are, that, that issue was not touched within the ordinance and we're asking the city council to ensure that that is rectified, that we should have an actual process that's said in, in the ordinance that lays out how we communicate with the city council, what the time frame should be. One of the things that we're asking for is that any recommendations that go from commissions go to the law and legislation committee to be considered within 90 days of receipt, right? That, that would actually be really helpful. 
So that's, and then finally, the last uh, request that we are making, we are trying to see if there can be clarification as to how we communicate with other departments and staff. As you all know, this has led to some miscommunication and misinformation where sometimes we rely on OPSA as the intermediary between the commission and SAC PD, and that can create a little confusion. So what we're saying is, as long as we are communicating directly with the staff that is supposed to help us, like in this case, OPSA, that we should be able to have direct conversations with the police department, city staff, just to ensure that there is no loss in translation, there's no delay in communication, and it just would help alleviate a lot of the tensions that we sometimes see. So those are the four recommendations. Um, I'm gonna stop right there, see if there's any questions. You should have, I think I sent that out to everybody, and if not, I apologize. I will make sure that I rectify that right now. Mr. Commissioner Guerrero. Thank you, Chair Castillo Krings. Um, I, uh, just wanted to say that this is, it, it's really disappointing. I think the whole purpose behind the city um, uh, kind of referring this broad issue of boards and commissions um, to the subcommittee was to look at how they process our recommendations, because of course there is a huge backlog of recommendations from this commission. So it's really disheartening that the, the work that needed to be done wasn't done and instead, um, there seems to be some uh, policies that would kind of stunt the, the work of this uh, body as well as others. And so I know you know this, but I thought I'd share that with, with the group because not everyone may be aware that um, that's how this whole effort started. I believe, it's my belief, um, that the city was looking at how to uh, respond to this commission's uh, recommendations, among others. And instead of coming up with a process, they come up with Kind of these limitations um, that don't seem to work and so i really appreciate all the work that went into that letter and i want to commend you and the vice chair and everyone else who uh, uh, put some work into it so thank you very much chair thank you um and and i'm hoping that in the future we can have a little more time so that we can bring up these letters to the full commission so we can actually send them as a full body unfortunately we're not able to do that because of how we meet right the last time we met was two months ago. All of this is happening quickly. We found out last week that they were actually gonna be putting it on the agenda. So we had to send something out in order for our voices to be heard. Um, and I just also, because we are putting them as part of the update, we can't officially take a vote on these, on these letters, but I wanted to make sure that one, you understood what we were doing, had an opportunity to ask questions. And to the extent of our ability, when we're able to bring letters to the full vote, I would really appreciate to do that because I think it's important for all of you to weigh in. So any other questions on the this letter regarding boards and commissions? Great, okay. So the other letter that we have and you know that you should have in your inbox as well, this is something that we're working on and we're gonna be finalizing to send out um, in the next day or two. And this is dealing with the military equipment use general order. As you may recall, this is something that we have been discussing before. We, I had originally sent a letter asking for a couple of changes. This is gonna be where it is in the process now. And I think Lieutenant Galeano might have better information than I do on this one. But my understanding is 
the um, policy committee actually reviewed it and now it's, it, it's going to be in front of the council. It's unclear when it's going to be on the agenda, but it, we expect it will be sometime in August and it will be for full review of the council. Once council adopts it, that becomes the actual policy for the next year. That doesn't mean that it, there potentially won't be additional changes in the future or whatnot, but for this upcoming year, the agenda that is adopted by the council will be what kind of governs this policy. So for that one, we have a couple, and I'm actually gonna stop right there. Lieutenant Galliano, did I have, do I have the timing? Um, did, I, did I outline that correctly? Mr. Assistant City Manager. Hi, Chair Castillo and members of the commission. Good evening. My name is Mario Lara. I'm the newly appointed Assistant City Manager with responsibility. I don't see Lieutenant Galliano. I don't, I'm looking at the list of participants here and I don't see Lieutenant Galliano and I didn't want to leave it un unanswered. I'm aware, I I'm aware that um, the, you know, the recommendations have been looked at by PD, and I think it's going to council based on the timeline that you suggested. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure of the specific date on it, but it will be um, sometime in August, I believe, or September, the latest, uh, going back to council. Great. Well, thank you so much for that clarification. So we will keep you posted as to when we find out. Um, big shout out to our vice chair. He tends to look at council website often and kind of make sure that we're we're on top of the deadline. So again, I, we expect that. I will make a commitment to let you and the vice chair know uh, when it's placed on the agenda. Really appreciate it. Thank you. And we'll send it out to the rest of the team. Um, so with that, a couple of recommendations that we're suggesting for this one. What we would like to do, and, and just in full disclosure, so Lieutenant Galliano met with myself and then he met again with um, Vice Chairman Bliss and myself. We kind of went through some of the changes that have happened. In fact, I think it would be prudent to ask them to do that walkthrough again so that you can see all of the, the original recommendations that we sent in, which were about seven, and then some of the changes that were incorporated or kind of their version of addressing the concern that we had raised. However, we still think that additional reporting is gonna be necessary for full transparency to happen. So one of the recommendations that we're asking is for comparative reporting and demographic reporting to be included. Now, we're not saying that they have to recreate the wheel again. If that information is already part of other reports, we just wanna make sure that there is their house, either the links or the public can easily access all of the reports, right? Because there's a lot of different uh, data collection that is happening. We just wanna make it very easy for the public and for ourselves to find it in one location. So what we're asking for is for additional information to be included in the annual report. And we think that that is how one of the mandates in the state law that passed was that the city council can only approve, and this is quote, only approve a military equipment use policy pursuant to this chapter if it determines all of the following. And it has a list of things. One of them is that the military um, equipment use policy has Wait one second. Has this is what it is that the proposed military equipment use policy will safeguard the public's welfare, safety, civil rights, and civil liberties. We think that in order for council and for ourselves to be able to determine whether it's the actual policy is meeting the actual language in state law, is for us to have additional information. 
So that's what we are asking for more data. Our second recommendation is we would like to, we were going back and forth. One of the original recommendations was that the ordinance allowed the police department to apply for funding and receive it and be able to spend it in you know, cases where they're not able to go to the council quickly enough. We don't feel comfortable with that um, type of authority. What we understand is sometimes they might be, um, they might find out about a grant application where they might not have a lot of time. They might have a couple of days, 24 hours. We understand that. They should have the ability, the police department should have the ability to apply for that money. However, if they receive that funding before they can actually spend it, they need to go back to the city council and ask for permission to do that. So we think that it's prudent for them to apply for the funding but not spend it until they get an actual authorization from city council. So we would like that, that, that to be baked into the actual ordinance. And then last thing that we want, I'm actually gonna hand this one off to um, our vice chair because he was instrumental in helping write this. We wanna make sure that there is a little more information about how and what kind of equipment can be used and where. And I'm turning it over to our vice chair. Yeah, so key reason behind this, honestly, is to ensure uh, and is response to uh, several uh, members of the community, particularly um, from both civil rights, uh, community members, civil rights advocates, as well as even members of city council, um, for the police department to be specific about how these weapons and equipments are like are being used um, so that we can ensure that there is not only public transparency, but also accountability for prior military equipment uses that may or may not have been have complied with the current or proposed policies. Um, and this is most notably um, uh, coming from the wake of uh, the George Floyd murders, um, where there were a number of protests in 2020, which uh, have video documentation of uh, police officers in Sacramento shooting into crowds with uh, this, this military equipment as they were running away. And we see already from the current policy that they are more than capable of describing specific situations where uh, this equipment is authorized to use, such as for its, 44, uh, its 40 millimeter launchers and rounds, where it states that situations for use of less lethal weapon systems may include, but are not limited to, self-destructive, dangerous, and or combative individuals, riot and crowd control, and civil unrest incidents, circumstances where a tactical advantage can be obtained, potentially vicious animals, training exercises, or approved demonstrations. So our reasoning here, our rationale here is, if the current policy can describe the situations in which it can be used, then the proposed policy updates that they're, uh, that they're making should also specify the situations in which it cannot be used, given these serious concerns and questions that have been raised, which are also prompting uh, at least one lawsuit that we know about. So. It's to that end that we're uh, that one of our recommendations included that language. However, we were informed, uh, uh, which I uh, would appreciate the lieutenant uh, being able to speak to, or at least someone uh, from, Sac uh, from Sacramento Police Department speak to when they uh, propose this uh, this when they go back to city council with this, um, that they are following the the minimum requirements of AB 481, and it's uh, like it's our belief that the that AB 481 should actually serve as the floor, not the ceiling, which is exactly what was stated uh, when they, uh, when city council approved our use of force ordinance back in 2021, where we were like, where they stated that AB 392 or the Stefan Clark law was intended to serve as the floor rather than the ceiling. 
we're expecting the same thing here to be done with this military equipment use policy. I'll turn it back to you, Chair. Thank you so much, uh, Vice Chair. That was that was really helpful. Uh, great. Any questions about the letter? Any comments, thoughts? Okay, great. Thank you. So those are my updates. So next, it's the Office of Public Safety and Accountability staff update. Is there an update? Hi, yes, this is Mary Oppler from OPSA. Uh, just with this meeting, we filed our quarter one police activity report. That data is a little bit older. It was produced before the summer break. So for the next meeting, we'll anticipate uh, giving you both a quarter two, which will have uh, better data that's newer and more relevant, and also our annual report. Uh, that didn't get uploaded to this meeting. The legislature cut, uh, cut off date had passed, but that report is now available on our website for folks to look at that, but we will also file a copy at your next meeting. And uh, that is it. Thank you. Vice Chairman Bliss. Yes, uh, appreciate for that uh, update on the um, quarter two activity reports. Mary, um, I also wanted to ask regarding the 2021 annual report that was recently presented to city council. Um, I'm a, like, we all know that we get, uh, we typically get these activity reports uh, presented to us uh, each quarter um, uh, piece by piece. But uh, what I noticed within the annual report is that it gives a little bit more context to the aggregate, uh, 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 basically correlation between like, and total, like total number of complaints and files for the entire year, which I think are also important for us to be um, to receive so that we can get a better sense of patterns as well as um, potential discrepancies within like within each report or just within um, how uh, complaints are coming into the uh, to the department as well as being notified of what recommendations that the Office of Public Safety and Accountability are making. So I'm just curious um, for future meetings, um, I'd request that we would all uh, that OPSA also provide us with a, um, a report on the 2021 annual report, uh, either before or after um, the city council is presented, uh, just so that we can have that context and be able to ask additional questions when we get to see the full numbers um, in total for the entire year. Great. Would you like a formal presentation at your next meeting for the 2021? I, I think that would be great if we can get that. Yes, please. Great, thank you. Any other questions? Great. Next is the Sacramento Police Department staff update. Is there an update? And I don't think we have a PD today. I had uh, one more question. If we don't have um, uh, an update from uh, the police departments, I uh, did have one question. Um, for OPSA regarding a um, uh, mention that was in the uh, 2021 annual report that I wanted to raise um, and just had a question regarding um, one of the officer involved shooting instances. Uh, Mary, is it okay if I ask that to you here or would uh, it be better served to wait until the formal presentation on this? But it's uh, from September, uh, the September 2021 um, officer involved shooting. I think either is fine. The Inspector General Dwight White is here as a panelist, so he'd probably be best situated to answer that question. Okay, I'll, I'll wait for it then. Appreciate it. Great. 
All right, now we'll move on to our first business today, which is the approval of the consent calendar. Madam Clerk, are there any members of the public who wish to speak on the consent calendar? Thank you, Chair. There are currently no members of the public with their hands raised. I'll move the item. A second? We have a second by Commissioner Guerrero, or is that a question? It's a question, Madam Chair, but I will second it. But I'm sorry, go ahead and ask your question. Sure. So when this has to do with the links that, that we received for the agenda, um, in the past, we received a link to the agenda, but it also had additional documentation. In this case, it had the actual minutes. And since we were sent a link this time, I followed the link, of course, and it just had the agenda. It didn't have the actual minutes. And so I'm really concerned because this is an issue that has come up time and time again, and I don't know why we change from one practice to another, back to another. I really, I mean, I'm, I'm starting to become frustrated again with processes and procedures. And so I would just ask staff to, and I know we have new staff, so it's nothing on you. It's, it's really something that needs to be, it's, it's information, it's process and procedure that needs to be passed um, from, you know, staff that's been around for a while to current staff. Um, that we need to receive the proper agenda with the proper attachments or, you know, all in one document, but I can't vote on minutes that I haven't read. So I'd actually, even though I second it, I second it for the purposes of discussion, I will be voting no, because I don't, I haven't read them. Um, and so I would say, unless someone has a copy of them that they can send around quickly, that we yeah. um, vote on these me, for the next meeting. I, I agree with you, um, Amari. I was getting a couple, a couple of texts about people not getting it. Now, the way I got to the minutes, is a bit of a roundabout way. Um, I just go, I went to the actual, it's thegranicas.com, and it's not on the actual webpage. It's on the side on the RSSS feed. If you click on the tab there for agenda, that's where you can see that today's agenda with the links that you're talking about. But I, again, it's not intuitive, and it's just because I fuddled, like just messed around before where I'm like, oh, I have no idea how I ended up here. But is there an easier way for not just us, but the members of the public to be able to access the agenda with all of the attachments. Chair, I'll go ahead and chime in here again. This is Hong Tran with the clerk department. Um, currently all meet agendas and meeting materials are listed on the upcoming meetings page. Um, where um, our current meetings are listed with date and time. And when you click on the agenda link, that will bring you to the meeting agenda of the day, as well as all the attachments and staff reports. And that's going to be at meetings.cityofsacramento.org. I have a question to that. Um, City Clerk, uh, when you send other commissions and boards, uh, including the City Council, um, notifications about upcoming meetings, uh, is it standard process to share the agenda packet in PDF format with those bodies? Um, it is not standard practice. We send the link, and again, everything is on that upcoming meetings page. So when you click agenda, it'll be the print agenda as well as all of the staff reports. It's not in one single packet. 
So when the city council is like is given those agendas, they themselves have to also go through the city's upcoming uh, meetings calendar to access their meetings as well as all of their items and agendas. Um, I'm not sure what each practice is for each member, but I do know we do not compile anything into um, a single packet. But there is a downloadable packet. Like it, it, each meeting has an agenda, like a, a link that lets you download the agenda packet. And we actually, like when I first joined this commission uh, in 2021, we actually were getting those agenda packets uh, routinely before each meeting, uh, from what I understood. And for some reason or another this year, that stopped and we were just getting the link. And the problem with uh, this month was that the city's upcoming meetings calendar has been experiencing technical difficulties where it either fails to load the agendas completely or the page itself doesn't load, which makes it really hard for uh, volunteer members, especially those of us that may not be as tech savvy as others, uh, to join the meetings without difficulty which is why I'd like to request that the city clerk's office um, ad like adjust this process for our commission, at least at the minimum, uh, by sending us the PDF agenda packet that is just that is also available on the um, on the Web page. Thank you. I have taken down your comment and I will let um, our office know. And we can follow up i'm making a note myself and and we can follow up with this item commissioner guerrero i saw that you had your hand up yes uh chair Cosio krings i would just add you know if process change as it obviously did it's just important to let commissioners know hey you're not no longer going to receive the pdf packet now you're going to receive a link that you know has multiple links with all the materials um that has that didn't happen clearly and then second um, it, you know, I think that if that was the case, the link that I received at least was not that link. <laughs> it was not the link that had all of the different sublinks um, because I just did as the city clerk's office asked me to and I found the agenda and I followed all the links and it's great. Um, like uh, Vice Chair uh, Bliss mentioned, I'd prefer to get to the PDF, but if this is the new practice, as long as one, we know about it, and two, it works. I'm good with it, but someone should please let us know. It's it's just basic communication, and I'd really appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you, Chair. Thank you. I see that we have Commissioner Falcon and Commissioner Alcara. Commissioner Falcon. Thank you. <clears throat> and just as a side note, too, per my uh, message earlier, I still cannot get to the Sacramento Antarctica site. It is still not loading the page on my computer or my phone, and I am pretty tech savvy. Um, so I thank you for at least getting me the PDF that had the actual Zoom link so that I could attend the meeting. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here with you folks, and I'm presuming many of our public who might wish to join are experiencing the same situation. Commissioner Alcar. Um, yeah, if uh, a few of my colleagues did not review the minutes yet, I um, would like to table it um, to the next meeting. I was just going to suggest that. Motion, I'd like to um, move the uh, move the consent agenda with, with, um, without um, item number one. 
Well, that actually raises another problem. Uh, sorry, yeah, well, it raises, uh, well, one second. Um, we can't adopt the consent calendar if people have not actually been able to review the document, right? So, so, so it's not just the minutes, it's the entire mm. consent calendar because if people are not able to access that. So I guess quick show of hands, should we just go ahead and table the consent calendar just to make sure that everybody has time? Yeah, okay. So motion carries. We will table the consent calendar for the next meeting to ensure that everybody has the documents that they need to be able to vote on them. Okay. So you're, you're moving it? If you're I'm moving, moving it, I'll to, I'm, it. Yes, I'm moving the entire consent calendar <laughs> for our next meeting so we're able to all have the documents. I'll second that. Second, great. Um, and I guess, Madam Clerk, could you please call the roll? Yes, thank you, commissioners. Um, please unmute and turn on your video for roll call vote. Commissioner Guerrero? Aye. Commissioner Carter? Aye. Commissioner Alcara? Aye. Commissioner Falcone? Aye. Commissioner Jefferson? Aye. Commissioner Marion? is currently absent. Commissioner Espinosa Salazar? Aye. Commissioner Williamson? Aye. Vice Chair Bliss? Yes. And Chair Castillo-Krings? Aye. Thank you, motion passes. Great. Well, then now we move to the discussion calendar. And we have item four, which is the inspector general uh, introduction and oral report. Is there a staff, a staff presentation? Hello. Hello. Hi, Dwight. Yes, we can hear you. Hey, how are you? Doing well, and yourself? I am doing all right. Sorry about that. Um, hello, everyone. I know I met some of you last year. Um, my name is Dwight White. I'm the Inspector General for the City of Sacramento. Uh, my job is to do uh, independent investigations on the um, officer-involved shootings, the uh, serious bodily injury uh, complaints, the in-custody deaths, and um, a second part of my job is also reviewing all of the um, complaints that come into the uh, police department. OPSA, we don't have the staff to review them all, so um, I review as many as I possibly can. Um, for those reviews, I'm really checking to see if the police department actually did an investigation, if um, the right disposition was obtained, um, if uh, yeah, if the right disposition was attained, investigation was had, um, and the, the, the correct outcome was, was had. Um, for those complaints, uh, there's four dispositions. There's um, exonerated, which basically means an allegation um, occurred. However, the officer was justified in doing so. Um, unfounded, which is basically um, an allegation did not um, There's proof that the uh, allegation did not occur as alleged. Uh, there's not sustained, which basically means the there's not enough evidence to uh, positively prove or disprove the allegation occurred. And then there's sustained, which means the allegation actually occurred as alleged. Um, 
So since I've been here, there have been about, I want to say, five officer-involved shootings. Um, I'm independently investigating them all. Uh, it's just me, so I apologize. I know it's taken a little bit of time. I started, uh, I think, last March, and we had our first officer-involved shooting in September. Um, that one is just about done. Um, I'm in the report writing phase, and I hope to have that completed this month. And then after the uh, report is written, I'll then come back here and do a presentation on my findings. And then in that vein, um, you commissioners uh, can ask me any questions you really want about the, the case, uh, about why I did certain things, why I found the way I found, um, and really, uh, I guess, grill me on the investigation aspect of the report. Um, I'm also, like I said, I'm also doing uh, reports for the serious bodily injury uh, complaints. It's been about 12 since I've been here, so I'm doing reports on all of those. Uh, since I've been here, there have not been any uh, in-custody deaths. So it's just been the officer-involved shootings, the serious bodily injuries, and then all of the um, uh, complaints on uh, the SPD side. Um, so I would love to open it up to questions if anyone has any for me. Commissioner Bliss, I remember you had, you were first on the queue. Yes, um, I had this question. I wasn't sure if I was supposed to ask it to OPSA, but uh, now that I know that you're uh, almost complete with the um, investigation of the September 2021 shooting, I uh, wanted to ask uh, because I noted that um, previously uh, in that report, um, the shooting which involved the uh, the person who was um, uh, engage, engaged in a uh, standoff with uh, the Sacramento Police Department uh, had been shot and uh, killed um, uh, after emerging from the home. And one thing that I noted uh, in that report was how um, there appeared to be um, – sorry, I'm pulling up uh, my exact question – but uh, there appeared to be – that the officers used um, had noted that, like, uh, they had used a UAS vehicle to perform a visual check of the subject after they had been shot. And I had never heard that being used before, an unmanned aerial uh, system or vehicle being used to check a person who was clear, like, who had clearly su suffered serious bodily injury and then result in death. And I had wanted to know, um, just uh, had a couple questions around, like how long does it typically take authorized personnel to deploy UAS into the field? And how long does it take during an active shooter incident? Um, I mean, that I think it varies. I think in this case, however, the issue was even though he had appeared and shots were fired, I think the issue was they weren't sure if the shots actually hit him or not. And therefore they weren't sure if he was still, um, as, as they called it, a threat. So in that vein, they would use the UAS to see if, um, if he was still, uh, I guess, an active shooter. I know that you're, uh, you're relatively new to this position, I wanted to know if you have uh, any tracking of how many times SPD has deployed UAS during active shooting incidences, particularly if they uh, used to 
check the subject. I'm basically wanting to know if it's standard operating procedure to use uh, UAS uh, to perform visual checks of subjects after they've been shot. I'm thinking on that question, standard operating procedure. Um, I can definitely look into that for you. I'm not sure if it's standard operating procedure, but I think they would use, I think in this case, they use a, um, the UAS because they, they just didn't know whether he was still a threat or not. Is that part of uh, exist, is that part of uh, existing policy the, that UAS systems can be used for those sorts of things, especially if uh, an individual is um, experiencing a life-threatening uh, or medical or other medical emergency? Well, I, I think the part, um, the issue is that they didn't know whether they had hit him or not. So even though they shot, they didn't know whether the they actually hit him or not. They didn't know whether he was stuck. Like, it was just that they just did not know. So, gotcha. I mean, it would be different if they, I guess, if they shot and then they saw him on the ground and then he was bleeding and then they said, well, let's get the UAS. Um, but in this particular case, they, uh, from what I gather from, you know, all the interviews and all the body-worn camera, I, th their argument was they didn't know whether they had shot him or not. They, they just didn't know because um, it was in a garage. Uh, in the garage, there was a parked car that was directly in front of them. And then there were some, uh, some debris in the window. Do you know uh, the time it took from the moment that... Um they suspected of shooting him at the moment that he went down from the moment that the UAS was deployed. Do you know how, like how long that, that time took or can you not, reveal that? Not off the top of my head, but um, when I do the presentation, I guarantee you I'll have an answer to that one. Okay. I, I, I would be very curious. I've never heard of any police department using UAS to check somebody after they've been shot, but given the time that it can take to deploy those things and the amount of like, and especially somebody that's experiencing medical emergency, it seems it, it seems really unethical, if not just kind of outrageous, that they wouldn't immediately render aid or, with as many officers as they have, approach the suspect from safe positions to just assert, like, ascertain if he's bleeding, if he's been, like, just just determine that he's hit. Those are the reasons I'm asking. No, no, no. I think those are great questions. And again, I think the the only issue with this case is that this guy um, had been shooting uh, throughout the night. So they weren't really sure whether it was safe to actually go in there and render aid because, A, they didn't know whether they hit him or not. Um, but, yeah. But how long it take after the shots were fired from the UAS being deployed, um, that's definitely reasonable. That's definitely something that um, I just don't know off the top of my head. Gotcha. I appreciate uh, your answers here. One last question was, um, were the SPD officers who responded to the 911 reports, uh, were they members of the mental health impact unit? If you know, I don't off the top of my head. I don't know, so I don't want to give a, a, an answer to that. But uh, I can definitely find that out for you. Thank you so much. Can I ask a Commissioner question, Carter? Oh, I'm so sorry. Yes. Uh, to Mr. Bliss. Sure. Go ahead. Did you have any more questions that you wanted uh, me to answer? I have I have an entire list of questions, but yeah. I think it would be actually better to just save it for when you present the report. <laughs> okay. All right. Maybe I can do a follow-up if I don't get it to them all that day. Appreciate that. Commissioner Carter. Yes. Um, Commissioner Bliss, 
based on my limited knowledge, when I went and observed the recruits at the academy, Sacramento Police Department Academy, um, in lots, many of the scenarios, if they shoot you and they feel that you are faking death, they're going to lay back. They're going to lay back. And even though the policy says render medical aid, the reality is if they are of the impression that the suspect is faking death, he's not really dead, he's just, you know, laying on the ground, not moving so he can rise up and shoot him. They're you're not gonna they're not gonna get the medical aid. That's the bottom line. They're not gonna get the medical aid immediately. They're gonna lay low. They're gonna let, wait until they feel that you are really dead <laughs> before they move, or they feel that you are not a threat. You're not gonna rise up and shoot them. So that's the disconnect between what we put in the policy as rendering medical aid and the duty to render aid, but whether they're actually gonna implement rendering the duty of aid. That's a totally different situation. So I just want to let you know that, and that's been my experience from observing many uh, scenarios that were exercised with the recruits on the use of force segment of the academy training that I eyeballed and observed. Okay. I, I appreciate that the historical context, and I wanted to ask you, if you uh, from, uh, from your knowledge uh, of studying these, has there been, like, do you know if how many incidences there have been off the top of your head that uh, where somebody has faked death and then like you know and then use that to ambush a police officer? If there have been scenarios like that, I can't answer that question. Perhaps an inspector general, based on his knowledge, training, experience prior to working for Sac PD, maybe he. I mean, prior to working for OPSA, maybe he can answer that question. I can't answer that question. Um, I, I guess I'll say um, most of my experience comes from investigating police officers in Chicago. And in Chicago, they did not really use uh, drones or unmanned aerial systems. So the, the use of that technology is kind of new, I would say, maybe to uh, California, especially Sacramento. Good to know. For that. Yeah. Mr. White, I have a quick question for you, but I'm not sure if it's part of the OPSA can answer this or if it's going to be fall within your portfolio. So I'm looking at the annual report that came out, the 2021 report, and one of the recommendations, a policy recommendation, actually, you have two. OPSA is recommending that the police department should implement a department policy requiring officers to provide the name and badge number during all, during all citizen contacts and that they should implement separate departmental policy for searches and seizures. And I know that in the numbers, that is one of the complaints that often comes up. One of my questions to you or to Mary would be, what is the protocol now that the recommendations have been made? How do they kind of influence how the city council considers this or how, what's the next step, I guess, is my question. I mean, that's a, that's a good question. I think you know, this is a new position and I feel like this is kind of the, the first time we're actually um, uh, maybe Oaks is questioning the police department and the first time we're actually asking for, um, uh, you know, taking a hardened stance on a certain recommendation. Um, I think the, the next step is to uh, work with the, uh, the, the, the chief and work with um, uh, professional standards unit. I think that's uh, Greg's uh, shop over there and try to get these things uh, implemented. Um, it's kind of difficult for me to do that just because I, 
you know, I have so much to review and so much to, to kind of do, but the, I think the recommendations are, are good. I mean, a lot of what we do see, a lot of what I see is uh, Fourth Amendment violations. And I think if maybe uh, the police department had a more of a standalone policy and, 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 and did some training, um, you, would, you wouldn't see those so often. So this is one of the things that I'm just going to bring up for the commission. After the report, uh, the vice chair and I were thinking that this could also help inform some of the work that we do next year, right? A lot of the times we have a lot of good information. There's been like an initial analysis of some of the, the things that we probably need to dig in more deeply. So that's something that I think would love to um, get everybody's thoughts. But I think given that a lot of the complaints especially are coming with searches and seizures, how the community responds to police department because sometimes an officer is not necessarily being respectful. This is something that I think we can spend some time actually trying to address. Looking to um, Mr. White's point, he's only one person, right? There's a lot of work that needs to be done, a lot of research, requires a lot of hours to do this work. And so it's something for us to consider as a body. Um, Commissioner Falcone. Thank you. And good to see you again, Mr. White. I remember sitting with you in your office when you first got here. Thank you for that time. I guess my question is, in the time that you've been here, though still, uh, you know, uh, still relatively new, and in going through your practices in regard to these investigations, are there areas you have discovered that are becoming bottlenecks for you to be able to complete your work in timely fashions that perhaps we as a commission can help to, you know, rally the troops to say, hey, Kim, you know, can we help this guy? Can you please respond faster? Can you please provide this kind of information? What kinds of things are you finding that could be barriers or roadblocks to you being able to complete the work that you're trying to do? Um, I think that's a good question. I think, uh, namely, uh, the manpower, you know, it, it is just kind of me in the office. I know, you know, Mary's doing other stuff and Leticia's doing other stuff and Elena's doing other stuff. So it, it's kind of hard to do so many with just, you know, when it's just kind of me. Um, I, I like to think I work pretty quickly and I like to think that there are no bottlenecks yet, but I mean, those things are kind of just around, you know, around the corner. And this last um, officer-involved shooting uh, we had in September and I'm still kind of, you know, messing around with the, the editing of the document. Um, so I really think just manpower, uh, maybe getting um, a few people working it. Like the, the way I think I was trained to do it when it comes to officer-involved shootings, you, you go to a scene and you have, you know, some people here, you have some people do a canvas, you have some people go to the hospital, you have some people go to the um, police station, do the round count, you have some people look at the, the body-worn camera. So it's a team. It's not usually just one person kind of doing everything and, and getting information um, in, in a piecemeal way. So um, I, I would say, and I, I know that's, I mean, the commission probably can't help with that, but getting more uh, manpower. Thank you for that. Appreciate it. I kind of wonder, uh, tough for a one-man show with what you're doing. Commissioner Bliss. Yeah, I appreciate that, and I can definitely see that. It was one of the things that I had noted um, in the annual report is that it, it's almost like, you know, given that you've, you've been here for uh, for over a little over a year now, and uh, there have been less than 40% of it. Uh, cases that have been before you like completed or whatnot but um 
It also seems to be based on the recommendations that OPSA made in the annual report for 2021 that I'm wondering if there's actually a breakdown in the review process, uh, given that uh, one of the recommendations was that uh, IAB needs to, like the Internal uh, Affairs uh, Division uh, needs to turn its investigations over to OPSA before it closes it and then notifies those officers involved um, so that OPSA can complete a final review before those investigations are fully closed out. But the fact that that recommendation is even there seems like it's like it's it's not what's actually happening based on the uh, the chart that is provided uh, for the review process in the OPSA complaint activity reports. And I'm wondering if that's uh, a similar issue that you yourself are experiencing um, with some of these investigations, or if these are all still ones that were still open and hadn't been closed or, uh, or, or whatnot. So when you say investigations, do you mean, so I, I take that to understand the, um, the investigations that IAD does. So when a, when a complaint comes in, IAD would do the investigation. And then before they give the final discipline to the officer, then it goes to OPSA to review it just to make sure, like I said earlier, that the, the correct disposition was had and an actual investigation was taking place. Is that what you mean? Yeah, I, I think I, I, I think so. I, I, and this is something I, I'm hoping uh, maybe uh, Mary or uh, Dr. Watson, whoever is presenting the 2021 annual report uh, at the next meeting can uh, go a little bit into this uh, to explain a little bit more about the recommendations. But it was just an observation that I noted from that. Yeah, and I think one of the reasons it might've been in there is because uh, maybe last year or maybe in the past, we had a case where you know, I, I disagreed on, right? Like I, I thought that um, it should have been sustained. Like the, it was enough evidence to sustain this allegation against an officer. However, they unfounded it. And then in that case, that it was kind of too late to do anything about because the case had already gone through the process. So that recommendation might've been from that one. I think we did fix that up. And we, now we're, it's like making sure that once IED closes the investigation, then it'll go to OPSA, then I'll review it just to make sure, you know, everything is, is, is done correctly. And then before any discipline goes to the officer, it goes to OPSA first. So that could have been in response to that. Gotcha. But when, like, if in such instances, you were still able to reopen that case or like, you know, could, like uh, come to a, a satisfactory conclusion that all parties agreed to? Not really, because in that in those cases, the, you know, you have a union, right? And um, uh, the police union gets involved. But um, once the disciplinary action, if any, goes or is notified to the police officer, then that's it. It's it's kind of the end of the ball game. So um, the the I think the allegation was just to excuse me, the recommendation was just to make sure that once you're done, I, I you know, OPSA has to review it. Someone has to review it before any disciplinary can, uh, actions can go to the officer. I think there's someone else, Steve. Yes, Commissioner Williamson. You're muted. Commissioner Williamson, you're muted if you're trying to speak. Thank, thank you. Um, so you mentioned that cameras uh, are oftentimes available. As a follow-up to Commissioner Bliss's questions about the shooting last September, and I know nothing about it, um, 
did you look at body cam or dash cam uh, uh, video uh, related to that shooting? Or will you be able to, to help inform a response to Commissioner Bliss on the question of why the police had to, felt the need to bring in a, uh, an unmanned uh, apparatus? And, and I'm not taking sides, I'm just asking here. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, I, look, I think I looked at um, all of the, uh, the body-worn camera that was involved there. Um, in this particular case, SWAT team came out and those individuals had um, helmet cameras. So I looked at the helmet cameras and the, um, the, 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 uh, the body-worn cameras of, of the individual officers, the SWAT officers, and also the responding officers as well. Okay, and, and I wasn't sure, I, I'm old so I forget easily, but I think Commissioner Bliss asked a question related to uh, uh, a mediator, you know, someone who could help uh, 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 defuse the situation. Do, do you know if that particular, and, and maybe the thing was too far along. So I'm, I, again, I'm not trying to second guess, I'm just trying to ask. Do you know if there's any, what de-escalation effort occurred related to that shooting? Yeah, they did. Um, in this particular case, it was quite a bit. They had um, what's called the uh, crisis negotiators come out there, and then they used the um, PA system of one of the armored vehicles to try to communicate with the, the individual involved. Um, and those were and this this standoff. We're talking about a situation that, that, that occurred for maybe like 10 hours. Right. So they were on the scene pretty early and they were repeatedly playing messages from his, um, his, his, his family members. Um, they actually used one of the UA systems to bring him a cell phone so they could uh, talk to him because I think uh, his cell phone had kind of died out on him. Um, and I, I like to think all of this is gonna be in the report, but, um, but yeah, so they, they did some, some de-exhalation uh, techniques, yes. Okay, so this was, may have been an extreme case. Um, the, the, in your other kind of efforts that you undertake, do you have ready access to all of the, the uh, body cam and dash cam footage? I, I just keep reading articles in the paper about, you know, uh, police departments and other locations, not, necessar not Sacramento necessarily, saying it's going to take them three weeks before they can release any body cam footage. And, and, um, I, and I'm not talking about any one department, but just as a Joe Blow citizen, it seems to me if you got camera footage of something that happened, why does it take more than three minutes to make it available as opposed to three weeks? Yeah, and I think that's one of the um, issues I kind of had when I first started here, like getting or building like an infrastructure of, of when I can get the body-worn camera, when I can get certain um, certain things. So now I think we have it pretty set where uh, the day of the shooting, I'll at least review the body-worn camera and then they'll, they've been pretty good at giving me a, um, a little uh, jump drive. And then uh, we have intervals of getting certain information. So yes, the body-worn cameras, but also the you know dispatch reports, certain police uh, uh, records and documents. Um, really anything that they can give me within seven days, like actual reports and things of that nature. And then, you know, 30 days, I think um, that's when we have another, um, uh, another, re we call it release days, where they have to give me, um, I think those of you transcribed statements, um, uh, video statements, um, witness report, like anything they have that they didn't give me in the seven day notice. And then we also have a 60 day release. And then um, after that, I kind of just have to 
uh, ask and request documents on my own. Okay, well, that's not, th th thank you, uh, uh, Mr. White. I appreciate your candor here. Any other questions? Thank you. So, Madam Clerk, are there any members of the public who wish to speak on this item? Thank you, Chair. We do have one member of the public with their hand raised. Our first speaker is Barry Boyd. Thank you and good evening. I did have my hand raised actually uh, under the consent calendar discussion uh, as it was uh, tabled, which was fine. But um, I would like to chime in on that just briefly. Uh, to, uh, commission, to several of the commissioners that had stated things have kind of gone askew, to which all started when the city clerk's office uh, took over the responsibility of running all of the commission and board meetings as of January 2022. Prior, all of our board and commission meetings did have our own secretaries that were specifically from the department to which the boards and commissions were with. And... Um, Commissioner Bliss, as you stated, and um, former vice chair, I'm sorry, I forgot your name, uh, had stated we all used to get the specific breakdown of what we were going to be discussing in our board and commission meetings. And so now it's just, okay, well, here's the agenda. And as Commissioner um, Falcone stated, good luck to you if you're able to uh, open up that agenda item. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. E-comments as well. Uh, if you go to the Granicus page, sometimes there isn't an option to leave an e-comment. And this is, you know, several days prior to the meeting. So there is a great many things that need to be fixed in regards to accessibility, not only for us board and commission members, but for the most uh, certainly uh, for the public at large. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your comment. Chair, we have no additional speakers. Great, thank you. And I apologize, Mr. Boyd, for not calling you earlier, getting back into the swing of things. Thank you for staying with us. Um, are there any other commissioners who wish to speak on this item before we move on? Great. So. Mr. White, thank you so much for your time and we really appreciate the work that you're doing. It sounds like we have a little more unpacking to do here. Appreciate the opportunity for you um, to come before the commission. Absolutely. And I'm also looking forward to um, doing my uh, presentation um, when, uh, when, when it's all said and done. And I apologize again, it's taken so long. No, we understand. When, when do you think that that's gonna be done around what time? We'll so have to I'm make sure. Um, I promise you, I'm like just editing the 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 report. Um, I hope to have it at least done officially, um, either uh, this week or next week. And then um, there, it might it may be redacted just because it's again it's a new position, a new report. I don't know how much. I think I put a lot in it. I'm not sure how much can go out, um, especially when dealing with like officers' names and stuff like that. Um, so. Uh, so yeah, it'll be done either this week or next week. I'm, I'm almost confident about that. So we're putting it on the agenda for next for next uh, <laughs> meeting. Okay, great. Um, Mr. Bliss. 
Yeah, that uh, brought up to mind too. Um, if you could really quickly uh, just uh, answer if uh, who who is responsible for rec uh, for redactions, if that is the department itself or is that uh, Office of Public Safety Accountability? And then I was also going to ask too if um, for the next meeting with this report, if um, we'll be getting something um, in writing or like visually um, uh, to just be able to review for ourselves in advance of the meeting. Yeah, I'm still thinking about uh, that. I, I kind of want, um, I was thinking about maybe a PowerPoint, but I know how, oh, you want PowerPoints? Like, I feel like people hate PowerPoints nowadays. Um, so I was thinking about maybe making a, a PowerPoint, uh, you know, 10, 12 slides to maybe walk through the, the, the process and whatnot. As far as the report, um, that, that's actually a really good question. Again, like, I just do the report and put all the information I can put in it. Um, who actually does the redaction um, that, that I don't know. I think most of it should be fine. Uh, like for instance, the officer, the shooting officer's names is already public information. It's just the ancillary um, uh, officers, you know, all the SWAT officers and, and the, the reports of, and that nature. Um, and obviously the names of the, um, the citizens as well. But um, I don't know who's involved or who, who does redaction. Uh, that's a good question. Sorry, like I haven't answered any of your questions, Mr. Boyce. <laughs> I, I appreciate your your honest effort to try, and um, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm uh, maybe uh, Mary can uh, answer that uh, if uh, she knows it. But um, and, and uh, I think I think one of the reasons we're having a hard time answering is because it's new, right? It's the first reports. It's like this is the first time I guess the city of Sac is doing. We don't really have anything to like base it off of. So not that we're making up as we go along, but uh, you know a little bit. So. Um, once I think we have this one out, we can start answering uh, those questions a bit better. Appreciate your time. Thank you again. And uh, I, as a uh, visual learner as well, I always appreciate uh, being- Do you like PowerPoint? Yeah, I don't mind PowerPoint. Oh, I know yeah. other people can get annoyed with it, but sometimes right. people are auditory and visually learner, so I'm the latter. Great. Well, this is just an informational um, item on the agenda so there is no vote required so we can move on to our next item item five ad hoc committee updates i know everyone has been anxiously waiting for these so madam clerk is there any member of the public who wishes to speak on this item thank you chair i currently have no members of the public with their hands raised great thank you and Mary, any I see you're on the agenda. Anything you'd like to talk to us about? Uh, no updates, just to clarify currently for the follow-up log, the formal requests I have are to agendize officer-involved shooting report if that's published. Uh, OPSA to give a 2021 annual report presentation to you. And then for the follow-up log also getting minutes and agendas sent out in PDF packets like it was before, and that would be a request for the clerk's office. Am I missing anything else? Not on not on the log, I believe. Any any thoughts on the log, commissioners? I'm sorry, we're skipping around a little bit on the agenda. I think we are supposed to be providing some ad hoc committee updates. Any updates, anybody, for now? Okay, and it seems like we don't. Mr. Bliss. Actually, uh, yeah, just wanted to uh, give a quick update from the surveillance ad hoc. Uh, we've been reviewing um, 
Sacramento Police Department's general orders related to surveillance, and uh, we'll be requesting a meeting with the relevant uh, personnel in the coming month or so. But um, in reviewing um, the general orders, one thing that we noticed was there are two surveillance-related general orders that are missing from the general orders webpage. That is General Order uh, 525.05, the closed circuit television cameras, and the General Order 525.08, uh, an automated license plate reader and police observation devices. And I was hoping to ask Lieutenant Galliano why those uh, are not publicly listed on the city's webpage. It's very similar to how the use of force order uh, before our recommendation was approved uh, had been missing from that page. So I'm just curious to know um, why that like why that is there or why that is missing. Uh, from what I understand, these are actually policies that have uh, uh, that have been on the books for a while, but it, it's not. But they're not currently listed. So just wanted to know. Yes, thank you so much. Commissioner Bliss, I don't think we have any other updates at the moment for the ad hocs. Um, so again, this is another discussion item. So no vote required. We will move on to our next item. Our next item is the Brown Act training. Mary, is this is this um, is this something that is Oaks is going to give us a training on? Uh, no, this is the city attorney. Uh, Ms. Anderson, are you able to hear us? I see you're a panelist. Audrielle, can you hear us? So I'm not sure if the city attorney maybe has stepped away, if you can table the matter for a few moments, or if this is your last of item. Of course. No, I think we have a one more um, item. So moving I also noticed then, someone has their hand raised uh, in the oh. public comment here. Great. Let's go to the public comment. Sure, and just to note, it appears um, our city attorney, Ms. Anderson, is having some difficulties um, hearing us and will be logging back in and out. Would you like to take public comment right now? Yes, is this a public comment on the Brown Act or um, the next item? Um, it should be on the Brown Act. Let's go ahead and take public comment. Thank you. Okay. Our first speaker is last four digits 4366. Yes, I'm, I'm calling, but I, I can't comment on the Brown Act until I hear the explanation. So is the city attorney going to come back and explain whatever it is with the Brown Act? Because I'd like to hear their explanation and presentation on the Brown Act and then go from there. Perfect. Yes, it sounds like we're having some technical difficulties and we're trying to get her back online. And we hope to have that presentation shortly. Okay, thank so, you. So, yes, and we will definitely have you come back back and talk to us about it. So just give us a few more minutes. We're trying to figure the situation out. In okay, the meantime, of course, while we wait for uh, item six, which is the Brown Act, let's move on quickly 
um, to the next item, item seven, which is the proposed amendments to our rules and procedures. And I'm gonna hand this item over to Commissioner Bliss. Yes, so uh, for those of you that, uh, commissioners that remember uh, back in May, we had uh, gone over um, the rules and procedures uh, that we, that the uh, chair and vice chair and I had uh, uh, worked to update. Um, and we had uh, a bit of difficulty in trying to get those um, onto our agenda for a time, but uh, after we were able to finally review those together, um, as a body, we had um, asked for any additions or up or, uh, or changes based on what we had presented, um, and we did not hear those. So just to quick review, and uh, I'm going to see if I can do a quick um, screen share just so um, you all can see that. Give me one second. Sorry, I'm, I'm also having technical difficulties. Um, here we go. Okay, can everybody see my screen? Yes. Great. So just as a reminder, um, we had talked about updating a few different um, areas of the policy, namely around uh, the agenda, where um, we had talked about requesting that if the item is within the purview of the commission, items will be included under the commission ideas, comments, and questions item in the agenda as individual attachments, including the name of requesting commissioner, uh, of the question, requesting commissioner, and that um, any additional items, uh, or make, like, you know, commissioners may submit their items by orally making the request during commissioner comments, um, or by written request sent to the, um, sent to OPSA or the director at least two weeks prior to the next meeting, uh, where items requested less than two weeks prior to the meeting will be added uh, to the next available agenda. Um, also had, uh, you know, making sure that agenda packets are sent electronically to each commissioner, which has been a standard rule procedure of ours for a while, but uh, we were asking for special meeting agenda packets uh, be sent electronically to each commissioner as soon as possible prior to the uh, uh, day of the meeting. We also requested for the agenda packet uh, written materials, including PowerPoint documents relevant to an item on agenda on the agenda uh, to be included in that packet and be published to the city's uh, website as individual attachments prior to the meeting so that they're easy to, uh, for the members of the public to find. And also for any corrections or supplements uh, to a staff report or other written materials um, be delivered separately to the commissioners, uh, to each commissioner, uh, but published to the city's website as individual attachments under the respective item of the agenda after the meeting, uh, or as soon as possible. Uh, we had also made some uh, recommended changes to uh, the conduct of persons addressing the commission for public comments. Uh, we were asking for matters not on the agenda. We would get, uh, for each speaker to have at least five minutes um, to give their comments for matters not on the agenda. And then for consent calendar items, uh, as well as general comments for the discussion calendar, we were asking for um, at least three minutes of public comment per speaker. We'd also requested that each speaker uh, be limited in their remarks to the specified allotment, but if the specified time allotment is reached, the clerk shall notify the speaker and allow them to finish their comment within 30 seconds, rather, uh, so giving them enough time to finish their thoughts before cutting them off. And 
also asking that uh, while speakers cannot concede any part of their allotted time to another speaker, unless like the only way that they could do that is basically uh, where they're placing the queue for comment on the specified item for another speaker has not, that has not yet been given, meaning that they can give away their time if they have not already taken it, um, so long as that speaker uh, has not yet given public comment. But that's something more for uh, in, in, whenever we go back to in-person meetings is what we're thinking. But um, we'd also asked or uh, made changes too that speakers can get in the queue to speak so long as the request um, has been made before the item on the agenda is closed by the chairperson. Additionally, we had added um, additional language around ad hoc committees uh, before finalizing an ad hoc committee uh, where uh, we would require a description of the scope of work be made available for the commissioners to review and then vote on a month after the meeting proposing its creation. Uh, we would also ask that once an ad hoc is created, the ad hoc chair will coordinate a meeting of the members within the first two weeks and be ready to present a calendar of the ad hoc meetings at the next commission meeting to allow members of the public um, time to, uh, if they wish to participate, uh, to request that, like to request that participation, be be invited. Um, these were changes that were made uh, prior to the ordinance uh, that is be currently being considered by City Council uh, that will amend Chapter uh, Two Point Four Zero uh, around boards and commissions. So we fully expect if changes uh, uh, are go through that per, uh, preclude these changes that we would adjust. But in the meantime, until such time as they are like we are not legally allowed to use them. We are going to, uh, I would, we are going to motion or I'm going to motion uh, that we approve these uh, rules of procedures and go forth with them until such time as the um, um, the general rules of procedures are standardized and updated to the point where we cannot uh, use these rules. Does that make sense, uh, uh, Chair Castillo Queen? Yes, yes, it does. And, and again, we recognize we've been working on this for a few months now, so the, the timing doesn't align nicely with some of the work this council is doing, so we recognize that we're going to be um, changing that. But we wanted to make sure that everybody knew what we had been working on, some of the changes that were being made um, that we were proposing. So I see that Commissioner Guerrero has a question. Uh, no, I was just going to second. I think it was moved to, for adoption, so I will second. Okay. And so... Madam Clerk, can you please call the roll? But before we do that, can you um, ask see if anybody, members of the public, would like to speak on the item? Yes, thank you, Chair. We do have one member of the public with their hand raised. And our first speaker is Barry Boyd. My apologies. I didn't lower my hand. It was in regards when we were speaking on the Brown uh, Act item, agenda Wait. item. And just so... Um, uh, if you, I'm sorry, if someone would just make sure I'm clear. Chair, you did not already go to public comment, correct? Not, we haven't done the Brown Act yet. No, we're just still, we're finalizing item seven and then we're going to go back to item six, the Brown Act. Okay, I did hear you say you were jumping around and I was moving around as well. I just didn't want to miss the pub, um, um, items not on the agenda as well. Thank you for that, Chair. Sorry for of not lowering my hand. No, not a problem. Thank you so much for staying on with us. Can everybody Any other me? members of the public wanting to speak on this item? Can everybody hear me? Yes. Oh my Ms. goodness. Ms. Anderson, we can. <laughs> I am so sorry. 
Um, no, not a problem, not a problem. So just, just very quickly then to make sure that we're not losing um, track. We'll table the item seven for a full vote in a second, unless we wanna do that right now um, so we can make sure that we don't lose Ms. Anderson. Ms. Anderson, the floor is yours. We're going back to item six, the uh, presentation of the Brown Act. Okay, thank you. Um, uh, I did have, uh, I guess we'll address it when we hit item seven. I tried to start my video so I can see all you lovely people virtually face-to-face -face, and that's when everything went to haywire. And so I apologize. You can't see my lovely pearls that I'm wearing and my wonderful suit jacket, but um, I am here and I thank you guys for your time and attention. This has been a long time coming. And I hope for uh, many of you, it's, it's a brief refresher of the Brown Act. It's very broad level overview. Um, and I'm not gonna make it any longer or any more painful than it has to be. Um, at the end, if you have any questions, please feel free to ask me. And again, if you have questions the next day and the next day after that, please feel free to reach out to me. Um, I'm happy to discuss any issues that you have, not just on the Brown Act, but any legal issues. Um, so I'm going to attempt to share my PowerPoint. <laughs> One second. Okay, do we all see what I'm seeing? We do. Yes, we are able to see it. Okay. Okay, and I apologize for that. So <clears throat> this is um, just a brief training on the Brown Act and a little bit on the city attorney's office. You know, we have um, some new people that I really haven't really been able, been able to engage with. So I just wanted to give you a little bit of idea of what the CAO does and how the CAO um, uh, attempts to support the commission and its efforts and its goals, as well as the city council and the city. Um, so, so today, again, we'll just talk about my office and the Brown Act, and then we'll have a Q&A. So the city at attorney has three broad roles. We have advisor, um, that's me. Um, it's the only attorney authorized to serve as legal counsel to the city government and its commission. Um, we, in my role, I give objective um, legal advice um, as far as what the commission can do in accordance with the Brown Act and um, conflict of interest rules and um, uh, different rules like the city code that governs what the uh, what this commission, how the commission functions. Um, there's also advisors in my office that are subject matter experts, like the police department has a advisor that advises them on, um, um, uh, sorry, <laughs> law enforcement um, rules and procedures. Um, there's also litigators in our office. They defend and initiate lawsuits on behalf of the commission and its staff. And then we have prosecutors who uh, pursue uh, criminal as well as civil remedies uh, for city code violations. So the city attorney's client is the city as a whole and all the powers of the city are vested in the city council through the charter 
and then certain powers are vested in certain parts of the um, certain functions of the city, like the city manager, the city clerk's office, the city attorney, city treasurer. Um, the, um, some of the city council's powers have been um, invested into those offices through the charter. And these offices can further delegate that power as needed in order to um, implement the city's goals, missions, and programs. So like Susanna is the city attorney However, she's delegated um, advisory um, to the commission to uh, myself. So <clears throat> confidentiality and legal opinion. So the relationship between the city attorney and the city and the commission is um, just like any other attorney client relationship. It's privileged and confidential. Um, the only thing is there's a whole bunch of people <laughs> involved in that. Um, from the city council to the departments to other boards and commissions. So um, oftentimes the way that the city attorney's office communicates with commissioners and boards is um, through email, through phone call. That's the informal kind of way that we tend to communicate and give our advice. But we also write written opinions. Um, uh, Sorry, I just got a note from the clerk's office. I apologize, one second. Oh, thank you. No, that did not work. Okay, I'll just keep it as it is. <laughs> um, so uh, through written opinions um, and letters to council, even some written opinions to the commission, those are confidential communications and the only way to make these types of communications um, um, public or, um, or beyond the city, beyond the commission is for the city council to waive privilege. So the Brown Act, uh, the goal of the Brown Act is um, basically it's California sunshine law. It, its goal is to keep the public informed as much as possible so that the public retains the power and control that they have over the ongoings of, of public business. And because um, um, they, you know, they delegate that authority through creating city government and you know, all, all different kinds of municipalities, state government, federal government. And then um, um, they need access to that information. So the Brown Act is, um, the purpose of it is, is, is to make sure that the public continues to have that um, um, access and also that the, the public business is done in open public meetings um, so that public input is, is taken and considered while the um, governing bodies make their decisions. So it's housed in California Government Code Section 54950 if you ever wanna go and look for yourself. So who's subject to the Brown Act? Um, generally legislative bodies of local agencies are subject to the Brown Act. That includes um, the commission um, um, as it is, it's, create, it's a body created by the governing body, the, the city council. Um, and so as such, as an advisory body, you guys are subject to the rules of the Brown Act. 
one of the central provisions of the Brown Act is um, what is a meeting. Um, that's one of the ways that the Brown Act can be violated without, you know, any intention is um, through your form of communication with each other on subject matters that um, rest within your jurisdiction. So the Brown Act defines a meeting as any congregation of a quorum of six of the of the commission's members. And that's specific to the commission. The Brown Act doesn't define meeting in general. It's a quorum of whatever the governing body is. But for the commission's purposes, it's where six of you are gathered at the same time, place to hear, discuss, or deliberate any item within your subject matter jurisdiction that's considered a meeting that's subject to the Brown Act rules. And the Brown Act requires notice, um, an agenda, and um, I'm not going to go into the details of it, but as you're aware, we, you know, we have to, the clerk's office typically publishes the Brown Act at, um, not, excuse me, not the Brown Act, um, the agenda at certain times because it needs to give the public enough notice to let them know what's going to be discussed and so that they have an idea of whether or not this is something that they should be interested in and participating and if it's an issue of concern that they can attend the meeting and voice their opinions. Um, so the Brown Act has its rules. The city has, um, like, was, like what was discussed earlier, the Brown Act is the floor. The city also has its own rules for ensuring um, public access and its noticing requirements is, is I think it's 120 hours as um, for a regular meeting as opposed to um, the Brown Act's rule of 72 hours. So um, the city with its rules is, is intending to give the public as much notice as reasonable in order to um, get that information out so that people could really attend and comment. So there are six exceptions to a Brown Act meeting, meaning there are six exceptions in which you guys can be, in, be around each other with more than a quorum. And I'll get to that later, apparently. <laughs> Um, one of the things you want to look out for um, with meetings is serial meetings. Um, you don't want to do that. That's a Brown Act violation. And um, I'll explain what a serial meeting is, but I think it, it can be easy to step on because the Brown Act is so counterintuitive to um, what you just normally think of as trying to get information, trying to have conversations. Um, so it's, 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 an, it's an uncomfortable thing that you're doing, um, but it ensures public input and it ensures, ensures public access to the deliberations, um, to your thoughts, um, to their thoughts, so that hopefully that what's being considered and what's being decided is encompasses all those things. So um, a serial meeting see. So serial meetings are prohibited by the Brown Act. Um, serial meetings include a series of meetings or communications between members of the commission in which ideas are exchanged. One second. Um, so um, in which ideas are exchanged among a quorum. 
The quorum does not have to be in the same room at the same time, meaning um, like we're doing now, we're, at, we're, we're meeting at the same time, but we're not all in the same room. So um, there's different ways that a quorum could, could be established um, other than being in the same room at the same time. It can be established um, through intermediaries, sorry, not serial meetings, can be established through intermediaries, um, like staff persons or, um, um, and I'll give, I'll give specific examples and scenarios so that you get a, a better idea of how you can um, accidentally fall into a serial meeting um, so that you avoid it. Um, but it could be through persons who contacts and uh, six of the members and shares ideas among the quorum separately. Um, it could be through text messages, phone calls, emails, voicemails. Um, and it could be through members, you know, just um, gathering outside of a public forum. Um, so the concern is that conversations forming a consensus of the thoughts and the um, decisions of the commission can occur outside of public input and it can deprive the public of an opportunity of a meaningful observation and participation of the commission's decisions and um, uh, um, de deliberations. So that's, that's why we wanna avoid serial meetings so here's an example of a serial meeting. This is um, what's been called a daisy chain. And it's basically member, you know, member A contacts that um, member B and then member B contacts member C and, and you're talking about the same issue. And eventually you get enough information um, to where the, it's like you're passing down this information to where everybody, like at least a quorum of you kind of get an idea of where everybody is at on an issue within your jurisdiction. And this is happening outside of a meeting. Like I said, it could be through email, it could be through a telephone call um, in passing, but that's what we call a daisy chain. That could be a serial meeting. Another one is the hub and spoke. That's the intermediary one where um, you have one central person who's reaching out to all these different members and gathering information and forming a consensus um, and even conveying that information of the consensus to the members that they're reaching out to. Um, so those are the, the two general, just examples of how you can set up a serial meeting um, at the end, I'll, I'll have practicals of what you can do in different scenarios in order to avoid um, falling into a serial meeting. The next thing I'll talk about is the exceptions to a Brown Act where you guys can be, a quorum can be together um, um, and not violate the Brown Act's rules. So, um, the first one is individual contact. So, I mean, you're not talking about anything within your jurisdiction, you're just there and you're 
talking about personal stuff or whatever. That that's fine. You you can have that contact. You can have that communication. Um, you can be at a conference or a seminar, and um, it's open to the public and um, involving general issues of interest. You guys can all be there. Um, that's not a Brown Act violation. Um, a community meeting. I know that you often want to interact and because um, that's part of your mission is to um, gather the public sentiment and bring it in to advise counsel of, from what you've learned. So you can go to these community meetings um, 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 as long as you're not like talking amongst yourselves about issues within your jurisdiction. You just take, take the information in and bring it back for discussion amongst the entire body in a public meeting. So the other thing is um, uh, you can all attend like um, city council meetings. That's a, another Brown Act body that you're able to attend um, and not violate the Brown Act. Um, social ceremonial occasions um, or like um, the chair mentioned earlier, a standing committee doesn't violate the Brown Act, um, even though, I mean, standing committees are Brown Act bodies. So, um, sorry, that's if, if you if, if you want to attend a standing committee, that's fine as well. Like LNL, for example, lawn legislation, that's that's a that's not city council. It's a standing committee, and that's a meeting that if you six of you decided to attend, you wouldn't be violating the Brown Act. So here's some practicals. So contacts with staff. Now this is an area where it could um, unintentionally become a serial meeting. So you want to make sure that when you contact staff, whether that's OPSA, um, any of the city departments, um, you want to like just guard your participation, your interaction, um, to just limit it to asking questions and acquiring information as opposed to sharing your ideas and um, your deliberations with the staff members, um, because they, you know, they're not only interacting with you um, as um, member um, member A, they might need to interact with member B as well. So you you just don't want to convey your thought processes on issues of concern or um, subject matter issues in front of you to staff. You just want to gather the information. So another thing, do not ask staff to describe the views of other members. That's probably an obvious one. Um, Another practical, when you contact people, members of the public, um, because they're, they're not operating under Brown Act, Brown Act, they don't have to. So um, they're not going to be aware of the things that kind of can um, prohibit you from certain levels of interaction. So you just wanna make sure one of the um, things you can do is um, when you are interacting with the person know if the person has talked to or intends on talking to other commission members. Um, if they are, if they plan on talking to other commission members, you definitely wanna limit your 
your, your interaction with them. You don't want to share your ideas. You just want to, again, ask questions and gather information um, or just hear what they have to say, you know. Um, and you, um, you might have to do this. You might have to make it clear that you can't disclose your views um, to them um, just in case they talk with another member and, you know, they might accidentally share something that they, you know, didn't, they didn't know they weren't supposed to share. So you just kind of want to guard against that. Um, you, you can then explain that you, you know, you won't have a final decision on anything you're talking about before a meeting. Um, again, you want to do more listening and asking questions and sharing your opinions. Um, if you do disclose your thoughts, um, just make sure you tell, um, let that person know that, hey, if you're going to talk to any other commissioner, please don't tell them. I mean, best practice is not to tell them at all your deliberations and thoughts, but, you know, um, if on the chance that it does happen, you just kind of want to urge them to not share what you've shared with them with any of the other members. And then uh, contacts with other commissioners. Again, you, you know, want to avoid putting yourself into a serial meeting, um, um, emails and, you know, um, as was mentioned earlier, the email that the chair sent, it's great, you know, not to respond. You guys can send information to each other. Um, just try not to respond back or forward it um, and, and just forward it to each other in a way that creates a serial meeting where you're exchanging ideas. Uh, you can talk with a, another commissioner. Again, just make sure it doesn't involve a quorum or you're, um, you're limiting, you, you guys are aware that you're not sharing your, your ideas one person to another person to another person to another person. Best practice is to avoid communicating your ideas outside of a public meeting. And, uh, I already said this, so I won't repeat myself, even though I have been. Notice in agendas, um, the clerk's office, this is their thing. <laughs> but um, the commission is required to post agendas prior to their meetings. Um, the posting requirements depend on the type of meeting. There's uh, regular meetings, special meetings, emergency meetings. So it, de it depends on the type of meeting as far as when you're supposed to post it. There's also the city code, you know, the 120 hours for regular meeting. Um, that's when we post our agendas. Um, you are not supposed to take any action or discussion on any items or subjects that are not listed on the, on the agenda. Um, and it says that's with limited exception. Um, as an example, there's member comments um, and there's, you know, chair updates, you know, the full breadth of what's going to be said is not posted there, um, but that's okay. You're, it, it's an informational brief. This is what's going on. And so things like that, that's okay. Um, where it becomes an issue is when you start discussing um, whatever that update is, because um, it, it has to be published so people know oh, this is an issue that they're going to talk about. So I need to make myself available because it's a matter of concern for me. Uh, and because the updates and the member comments don't provide that level of detail, 
it's technically not really giving the public enough notice because um, it's not published in the agenda. It's not giving the public enough notice so that they can really be involved in the conversation. So um, just try to refrain from um, diving in deep during those times, the updates and um, the member comments. Um, the other thing that um, I'm not gonna go through, um, but you should take a look at, um, the commission is subject to the council rules of procedure and the council rules of procedure, they provide additional requirements of how a meeting should be ran, um, how your interaction should be with the public, um, uh, speaker time limits, um, things of that nature. So, um, um, and I'm always here, not, you don't have to memorize anything. I'm always here to kind of help you um, through the process of what's, violation, what's a violation or what's not a violation um, and what options are available to you to um, implement your goals. Um, but it'd be good to just kind of take a look at the council rules of procedure. And okay, so again, non-agenda items, generally you're not supposed to talk about things that aren't on the agenda or take action on things that aren't on the agenda. Um, a lot of these exceptions most likely apply to the city council um, um, rather than you, you know, um, city council will, will govern emergency situations. Um, and, um, um, but again, you can briefly reply to a public comment or you can, again, provide an update either during chair updates or commissioner, uh, commissioner comments. Or if, if, if something is on the item, if, if there's something on the agenda and there's something that's kind of related to it that you just wanna touch on to ask questions or even propose that it be placed on the agenda for next meeting for a deeper dive, you can, you can do that as well. So uh, the Brown Act also provides uh, rights of the members, for the members of the public. Um, no discrimination, I won't go through them. Um, you can see them there, they're my PowerPoint and um, the clerk's office published my PowerPoint. Um, and if you don't have it, have it, I'm happy to send it to you as well. And there are also limits on the public's rights, like the speaker time limits, um, when to turn in the speaker slips. A lot of this is in the council uh, rules of procedure. Um, okay. So um, when there's a Brown Act violation, um, there are various remedies. Um, the action that you took could be declared void or um, nullified, and then you have to do it again. Um, there's um, lawsuits, um, misdemeanors, um, criminal convictions associated with it. So it's it's pretty, you know, the legislature really wanted to get the point across that, you know, the public has a right to your thoughts and a, um, a right to chime in with their thoughts on matters that are placed within your jurisdiction to um, 
advise the city council on. And that is it. Um, I am happy to answer any questions. Again, whether those questions are now or later, I am available and I apologize again for the technical difficulty. Oh, Commissioner Quest. <laughs> <laughs> Truly appreciate your time and uh, detailed explanations uh, into this. It's been, it has been long overdue and uh, yeah. I really appreciate you working through the technical difficulties. So no, yeah. no worries. Um, I wanted to uh, Be, before oh, before we go back. I'm so sorry. I have to do public comment first. Oh, sorry. No, no, you're fine. Everyone's fine. Um, I think if Mr. Boyd is still on the line, I think he goes first. Madam Clerk, do we have any callers on this item? Yes, we do. We have two hands currently raised. Our first speaker is Barry Boyd. Mr. Boyd, the floor is yours. Thank you. Thank you, Madam Chair. Um, um, actually, the city attorney covered pretty much um, everything. I'm glad I waited for the presentation. Uh, she answered a couple of my questions. Uh, if I may, just an FYI to the city clerk and to yourself, there. I'm trying. I was trying to leave an e-comment, but there is no access right now to the uh, Granicus page to leave an e-comment or to even go to the agenda page for this meeting and or any other scheduled um, commission or board meeting. So once again, as has been discussed earlier this evening, there are major issues that need to be remedied quickly. Um, so who knows who else would uh, maybe wanting to chime in at this moment. So if there's anything that the city clerk can do right now to make it accessible for all of us who want to leave an e-comment at this meeting and or any other um, uh, scheduled meeting, I would greatly appreciate it. Thank you for your time, Chair. Thank you for so much, Mr. Boyd, for hanging in there with us and, and for the comment about uh, your inability to leave any comments, something we definitely have to look into and try to remedy. Madam Clerk, any other, uh, any other hands? Yes, our next speaker is last four digits, 4366. Hello, yes, I'm, I'm calling in as a person who who has studied the Brown Act for years, and I'm, I'm hoping that I can get a, a copy of that PowerPoint uh, presentation. Uh, people know my number, so they can reach out to me. But my concern is also when I study, and I, I learned this tonight listening to the presenter, that anything that's on the agenda should be addressed. Well, as a person who has been concerned for weeks, that sometimes on the agenda it will say at the very bottom the city manager's report, and then it will go to the public comments not on the agenda. And as a person who's uh, concerned about that, if we're not going to hear a city manager's report, then it shouldn't be on the agenda. To me, based upon what I heard tonight, that's a violation of the Brown Act. Whatever's on the agenda should be addressed. So that's what I wanted to say. Thank you for your comments, sir. Thank you. We have no additional. Anybody? Oh. Thank I'm you. sorry, Madam Clerk. Go ahead. 
No worries. We have no additional members of the public with their hands raised. Thank you. Are there any commissioners who wish to speak on this item? And I can't see the hand. Let's start with Commissioner Guerrero. Uh, Commissioner Blisswood, Vice Chair Blisswood before me, so I'll, I'll go up to you, Bruce, uh, Vice President, Vice Chair. I'll, I'll go? Okay. <laughs> you can go. go ahead. All right, thanks. Um, Adriel, I just wanted to, to uh, maybe confirm, I know that uh, the City Council was going to take up some time-sensitive items, and uh, our Chair and Vice Chair, you know, got uh, less than six of us together, you know, to discuss the letter that we discussed today. And obviously we signed on. So we can engage in communication, but again, as long as we're extremely, extremely careful that it's not a quorum, is that correct? Yes. I know it's not a best practice and I don't think that we work on this kind of thing lightly, but I thank you for that answer. But, and just for everyone else, uh, I think uh, it's important that everyone knows that there are time sensitive uh, issues that unfortunately we can't get to in between where uh, members of the commission feel like they need to share information with the council. And so when those efforts arise, I, I appreciate the chair and our vice chair um, ensuring that we still have a voice in the process. So I just wanted to check. Thank you, Adriel. Appreciate it. Thank you. Commissioner Bliss and then Commissioner Falcon. Thanks for that uh, question, Mario. Um, I wanted to go to um, Adriel, your point around um, the Brown Act allowing for public agendas to be noticed no later than 72 hours before the scheduled meeting, but the city, uh, but the city's rules and procedures go further by requiring 120 hours notice. So just wanted to confirm, so long as items are submitted to be published no later than 120 hours before our meetings, they can be discussed at the next meeting, is that correct? Repeat that one more time, just the question. So long as, uh, so long as items are submitted to, or are are published or submitted to be published no later than 120 hours before our meetings, uh, they can be discussed at the next meeting. Is that correct? They have to be on the agenda. So I, I don't know what you mean by submitted. With whether you're saying as long as I get it to OPSA or uh, because it, it has to. It has to be on the agenda. You really can't discuss anything that's not posted on the agenda, except for, like I said, the, the little brief updates. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if that gets to what you're. So, gotcha. So, like it has, like so, it has to be published no later, uh, no later than 120 hours for the agenda. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Okay. So. I raise that because from my understanding, the city's letter star cuts off all agenda requests for our commission by the fourth Monday of every month. And I notice how cert like certain items on city council and other commissions and boards have been able to make adjustments to their agendas in full compliance with the Brown Act. But like, so, like in, and for example, the, uh, our rules and procedures, which we had tried to add on to uh, at least three uh, of our meetings this year, but we're denied, um, uh, but we're not adding those items on the agenda, uh, for, like from adjusting our agendas within the compliance period. Are we able to amend our agendas within the three to five day window uh, the city and Brown Act requires, or are they sub like, I'm, I'm just curious, like what is the process for amending agenda items so that we can, like if we wanna add something to the agenda, 
outside of the uh, Legend Stars um, uh, cutoff period. I'm going to ask the clerk's office to kind of chime in. Um, I think they're more familiar with amending agendas. This is OPSA, Mary Opler. I think to the heart of it, uh, if we can ask the clerk's office, you know, for this commission, it's a 14-day Legistar cycle. For Marion Council, it's 19. And that, it, that has proven to be a real difficulty for volunteers, you know, tr trying to get their, their thoughts on, uh, you know, in the past, I know exceptions has been made. But for the most part, you know, I, I've been told use the 14-day calendar. Uh, so, so I guess I think we all just kind of want clarification on uh, the absolute last minute that something could get uh, amended just so that in the future that nothing gets left off. And just to kind of add um, a finer point to that, I think just for transparency's sake, so the vice chair and myself get together with OPSA on Wednesday. So that's two days from today to basically cement the agenda for the next month. So once that ha once that meeting happens, it's really hard for us to actually add or remove anything from the agenda. So let's say we find out on even next Monday that something is gonna be up on the agenda and on the city council and we'd like to bring it up to the council for, or to the commission for discussion, that makes it really difficult for us. And so I think that is that is usually what we're grappling with because we, we are gonna cement our agenda. And I say cement because it's, once we put it on, it's hard to take it off or hard to change it. That's going to happen two days from today. So we're just trying to figure out how do we ensure that our agenda and the information that we're putting out to the public is Brown Act compliant at the same time be as flexible as possible to allow us to respond to the changes that are happening at city council or anything other items that might come up that are important that we need to discuss as a body. And that's and we are happy to bring that up, um, Audriel and City Clerk's office to discuss further. But I think that's one of the reasons we're asking some of these questions. Um, Commissioner Falcon, I think oh. you have your hand up. <laughs> Audriel, were you going to add something? I saw you go off mute. No, I, I, I was just going to say that's something uh, I can chat about with the clerk's office, and we can get back to the commission. Okay. hopefully before Thank your you cementing it. date. <laughs> Greatly appreciated. Ms. Anderson, thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Mr. Falcon. All right. This, uh, and thank you for the presentation. Um, after three and a half years, I still struggle with the Brown Act on that, getting better. But the main question I have is around replying to public comments. You kind of touched on it within the presentation. And I have other friends of mine who were set on other commissions where this question comes up too. Is there a best practice slash or Brown Act uh, area in relation to replying to public comments? Well, um, I don't, you know, off the top of my head for the Brown Act purposes, I don't know, I can look that up. I do know uh, well, one, are you talking about the manner of response? or I, I guess probably the manner of response. There have been many times when I have um, heard a comment from someone, whether on an item that, um, you know, came up for discussion or especially in uh, items not on the agenda, that sometimes I feel like, oh, I really want to comment on that. You know, in... 
the council rules of procedure allow you to respond to public comments. It's just, it's, you don't want to get into a back and forth kind of dialogue with the um, member of the public. Some, some, what I've seen council do at times is um, if, if a staff person can assist, they'd ask a staff person to assist that, you know, member of the public with the issue. Um, they, um, and I, I think probably one of the biggest problems is we're virtual. So <laughs> um, some of the things that you, you could do, you know, stepping down and actually having a conversation with the member of the public, you can't do uh, virtually. So, um, I mean, you, you can respond. You just don't want to get into a back and forth dialogue. If, if you can briefly provide some information to that member of the public, um, you can even give your email um, if you if you want to do that, or you know whatever. Um, ask them to reach out to OPSA, and you can follow up. Um, there, virtually, I think there's ways for you to respond. You're not like completely shackled from responding to the public. It's just the dialogue needs to be brief. Um, if it's a longer conversation, then that's probably something you take offline. Thank you for that. Any other questions, comments? And thankfully we have, um, we have Audrey with us and so we can always ask her questions, make sure that we are always in compliance and that we're trying to do the right thing. Yes, please, by all means, use my email address as much as you want or my phone number. The chair and I have had conversations. Um, past chair and I have had conversations. Um, I'm, I'm really happy to talk with the commission and um, I volunteered for this commission. Um, so I wanted to do whatever I could um, to support your efforts. So um, I'm very happy to assist. No question is too small. So feel free to reach out. And we really do appreciate how accessible you are in helping us kind of navigate some of these waters. So thank you so much for giving us this presentation. Um, I completely second what Commissioner Falcone said. I'm always constantly thinking, I'm like, wait, is this a brown, brown ass violation? I got to call Adriel. So thank you so much for spending time with us. And this item does not require a vote. This is information only. So we can, we're going to go back to item six because that one did require a vote. And we just need to go ahead and finish that item out. Um, so I wanted to chime in. This one is on for discussion seven. You're talking about seven, right? Yes. Oh, this is item six. I'm sorry. Thank you. Or seven. I was going to, uh, so yes, this, I, the Brown Act is item six. We're going back to item seven. So this one's on for discussion, um, not a vote. At least that's the agenda that I have in front of me. You're talking about item seven, right? Yes. So oh, we can't so receive, we can only receive the file. We can't take any action. No action. You can talk and discuss it. Thank you so much for that clarification. So we cannot actually adopt it and vote on it. Got it. Um, okay. So we will put this item back on the agenda for next meeting. Um, and we'll have an updated version for everyone. And hopefully we can do a full vote on that one. Great.
Um, and I believe then that that concludes today's agenda. And I think, except Commissioner Bliss, did I just see your can come up? Yeah, just noting the um, uh, commissioner comments and, uh, and as well as items on the agenda for public comment. Just making sure somebody was paying attention. It was a quiz. Um, so, sorry, got a little discombobulated on, on no vote for number the last agenda item. But um, yes, last public our public comments actually. This is, I'm sorry. This is uh, our next item is commissioner comments, ideas, questions. Are there any commissioners who wish to speak? Commissioner Bliss. Yes, um, just to comment that, uh, to reiterate the comment that I made previously of the uh, fact that we've had the rules and procedures discussion requested for at least three meetings now. And we actually did discuss it in May during the chair's update, but uh, we still aren't able to vote on it. And it's literally, uh, we're going into month nine of uh, the year. And we only have 10 meetings on the calendar year. So just wanna reiterate that that's pretty frustrating for this commissioner. Um, but my comment was, uh, I wanted to actually raise up uh, something that had um, been published, uh, recent body, cam uh, body worn camera footage of an officer involved shooting that happened um, on July 16th. Uh, it occurred near the uh, 16th and A streets um, where two, S uh, two SPD officers uh, in the dark of night attempted to gain voluntary cooperation of an unhoused person by commanding them to submit to being restrained in handcuffs before explaining to them why they were being detained. And I was hoping that Lieutenant Galliano would be present so that uh, I may ask, uh, if is it SPD policy to handcuff an individual before informing them that they are under arrest? And also wanting to know which general order is the governing policy for arrest and detainment procedures. Um, I'm not sure uh, if Audriel, if you're in a position to answer that question or not, or if Mary is, or even Dr. Watson, but uh, or, or the uh, Assistant City Manager, uh, Mario Lara, but uh, I'm hoping I could get some kind of answer on that if uh, anybody knows. Hi, Vice Chair Bliss, this is Mario Lara, Assistant City Manager. I have made a note of the question and I will uh, find a response for you on that. Um, I, I don't. I don't want to speak. You know, just off the top of my head, I want to make sure that I that I get these questions um, answered by the experts, and so uh, I'll make sure that I make a note of it. Thank you, Commissioner Guerrero. Thank you, Chair Casio Krings. I was going to suggest that every commissioner, um, if you haven't met with your uh, appointed city uh, appointing a, a council member or the mayor that you schedule a meeting and give them an update of what's going on here. And in addition, talk about the uh, process that has yet to be adopted for how recommendations from this body and other bodies are taken up. And you may wanna tell them that uh, it was, I believe the intent of council to have this process in place in April. And here we are in August, and instead of getting this uh, process in place, we are getting uh, policies that could potentially impact the way we operate. 
I believe you all received the letter. I think it's important that each of you please reach out to your council member um, and uh, Chair Castillo-Crane, uh, I would suggest that uh, those of us that are mayor's appointee that we have a request a group meeting to go over these items as well. So that's my comment. Thank you so much for bringing that up, um, Commissioner Guerrero. And I would definitely second that. As many of you know, as you saw the letter, because I could only have a conversation with five of you, only five were able to sign on. So that doesn't necessarily represent the entire body, but you can make your voices heard by calling in tomorrow. The meeting will start at five. So it's something that I'm planning to do. One of the other things in full disclosure that happened was I sent out that email. I sent out an email to each individual council member and also submitted a public e-comment just to make sure that they were gonna see it. And I um, included the vice chair just to say, here's the letter from us. Let us know if you have any questions, but if you can actually reach out to your appointee, um, whoever appointed you, that would actually be really powerful. So please do that if you haven't done so already. Um, with that, Commissioner Falcon. To that, um, I think I may have asked this question a few months ago before we went to break. Um, I was appointed by council member Rick Jennings, who was council member of district seven. Through redistricting, I became now part of district eight and not district seven. And I know there were some confusion on my part as to whether I'm still appointed by council member Jennings or now part of district eight, how that might work. I, um, and even more so now that I understand technically the area that I live in has no council member representation as they figure out the whole redistricting. So um, maybe this is to city staff who would be my best person to talk to as to whether I am still an appointee of District 7, even though that council member has moved on to the new District 7? Or I don't know where my home is. Can somebody help me? Thank you, Commissioner. Commissioner Williamson. Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry. Go ahead. This is Hontran with the Clerk Department. Um, I'll just let you know that I did make a note of your question. And again, I'll follow up with our staff to get back to you. Thank you very much. Commissioner Williamson. Thank you. Uh, I'm in a similar position. Um, I am unhoused um, in the context of uh, my uh, city council member got squeezed out. But my, I looked into it and I was told that, uh, um, you know, in January, there's a new city council and that's when any changes would take place. Uh, but a separate issue is um, in September, I think 11th through the 15th in Dallas or Fort Worth is a national meeting of uh, citizens who participate on these uh, police review commissions such as ours and some have more authority than ours uh is anybody contemplating going to that meeting can you send the details to that to that meeting i i can i i thought a while back i i sent something but i i to you but i i will uh I'll get that done this evening and send it to you. My understanding is there's no money to pay for anybody's, uh, you know, transportation or, or uh, you know, hotels or anything there. But um, um, the idea of being in the Dallas-Fort Worth area in the middle of September 
been there, done that, and it's horrible. Um, but uh, um, it is kind of intriguing nonetheless. Um, so I'll, I'll get that out to you. And uh, uh, we will meet again before that conference occurs. But I did want to give a heads up. I'm thinking about going and just observing and would understand I did not have any was not be representing our commission in any way other than as an individual member. Uh, but I'll get that out to you tonight. Thank you. Any final thoughts on this item? Any other ideas from other commissioners? Great. So the last item is public comments and matters not on the agenda. Madam Clerk, are there any members of the public who wish to speak on public comments, matters not on the agenda? Thank you. We do have two hands raised. Our first speaker is last four digits, 4366. Uh, yes. I wanted to close by saying after studying what I heard regarding matters that are put on the agenda. Uh, and I've been asking this question for weeks. I'm not seeking dialogue. I'm seeking clarity. And the clarity is if something is on the agenda, and it usually is just before the public comments, it's called the city manager's report. If there's not going to be a city manager's report, then to me, based upon what I just heard, that's a violation of the Brown Act. Either either have a city manager's report or take it off of the agenda. And it's, it's, it's that simple. It has, you know, I'm not interested in dialogue. I'm interested in what I just heard tonight. If something is on the agenda, then the public should be uh, privy to what's on the agenda. And if it's not going to be uh, a report, then take it off. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Thank you. Our next speaker is Barry Boyd. Thank you, Clerk. Um, my comment is in regards to tomorrow's City Council meeting discussion calendar number 30. Um, I'll just read you my comment real quick. Please attend tomorrow's August 9th, 2022. Uh, the link, if I can bypass that part, uh, City Council meeting at 5 p.m. tomorrow to voice or e-comment your concerns where changes to the ability for the Sacramento's city boards and commissions, such as prohibiting boards and commissions from establish, establishing standing committees and ad hoc committees limit and uh, number two limit the amount of service as a chairperson to one consecutive term to create opportunity for more voices to serve in this capacity both of these requests should be removed so sacramento city boards and commissions can continue to do the work outside of the monthly and or bi-monthly scheduled meetings that are for the benefit of the residents of sacramento and not allowing an individual and or special interests to control what's best for the residents of Sacramento, as well as not allowing to waive Rule 7, Section K, 
5.1 of the Council Rules of Procedure, which requires ordinances to be referred to the Law and Legislation Committee before coming to Council. Someone is trying to fast track uh, the elimination of ad hoc committees and the opportunity for continued chair serving term. So please attend tomorrow's meeting and voice your concerns to have that language removed in the proposed PNPE request that went to the clerk's office and to which now tomorrow's council is going to take a vote on. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Chair, we have no additional speakers. Thank you so much. And I hope everybody is able to call in tomorrow. It's gonna to be uh, an important item. And with that, um, actually we have one other commissioner, Commissioner Bliss. Yeah, just a question to uh, that came up from off agenda comments uh, that I'm hoping that Audriel might be able to answer. Uh, first to the first uh, uh, caller's point, uh, if something is put on the agenda, such as the city manager's report and is not presented or discussed, is that a violation of the Brown Act? No, it, it, you don't have to discuss everything on the agenda. Um, it's like, you know, you continued an item today because we weren't able to review the minutes. Um, you, you, a lot of these are, um, templates um, and, you know, the uh, different, you know, city council, they fill in, the, well, not city council, staff fills in the template for the agenda. So there's no requirement under the Brown Act that you have to discuss um, every single thing that's on the agenda. Um, I can, I, I hear um, the member of the public's uh, comment and concern. Okay. I, I appreciate that. I figured just uh, easy enough to clear that up uh, if possible. And then I uh, was also going to ask to um, regarding receive and file um, and the differences between like receive and file for our commission and the city council. Um, if say a, a, an item such as this ordinance that's being considered uh, related to uh, boards and commissions is put on the discussion calendar and not the public hearing calendar. Does that mean that uh, city council for now can only receive and file the ordinance and not take a, a formal vote, uh, yes or no vote on it tomorrow? I can't speak to that specific item because I'm not involved with it. And I don't know what the agenda says. I, I, I think you'd have to wait and see what the city attorney decides um or what the council decides i i don't really i haven't looked at it so i can't really speak to that specific question got it and i saw the um uh city clerks uh might come off you i didn't know if uh, the city clerk wanted to chime in on that I don't have any additional comments and I do not have the agenda in front of me. My apologies. Okay, figured I'd ask. Thank you. I um, I just pulled up the agenda and it looks like the first thing is gonna be pass a motion to waive rule seven section K.1. Um, and then the second motion is to adopt the ordinance. 
So it sounds like it is going to be an action item for tomorrow's meeting. Unless I'm reading that incorrectly. So that's what it sounds well, like to me. Yeah, because it's Based one on pass motion. Yeah, the, the, the on the agenda says and two. So one is going to be pass a motion to waive rule seven, um, section K.1, which is something I was not aware of. Thank you, Mr. Hoy, for being on. Um, and the second is adopt an ordinance, which is, oh, actually, yeah, adapt, uh, adopt the ordinance, because there's, there's two items tomorrow. There's one, chapter 1.4, regarding to um, the mayor and council member vacancies, and then the chap amending chapter 2.40, which is the one pertaining to boards and commissions. But yes, it is going to be for an action item. Okay. Any other questions, last comments before we adjourn? And can I just say thank you so much for all the pub, like public participation, people of the you know the general public kind of just calling in, staying with us. I mean, it's eight twenty one. Really appreciate that. That kind of encourages me. It's like people are watching what we're doing. So thank you so much, everyone. Commissioners, have a great rest of your evening. Hopefully, you'll enjoy dinner. Members to the public, thank you so much for joining our our meeting. Have a great rest of your night. Thank you. Thank you. Also, city staff, Adriel, thank you so much for educating us.